Welcome to Living in the Light with Bible teacher Anne Graham Lotz. The Holy Spirit desires that you be like Jesus. He is going to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. That's His responsibility. How does He do that? Welcome again to Living in the Light with Anne Graham Lotz. Anne is continuing a series on the Holy Spirit. And today, you'll hear part one of her message titled, The Holy Spirit, His Power. Do you ever feel like your walk with God is lacking vitality? There's something missing you can't quite put your finger on. Well, Anne will show you how lacking the power of the Holy Spirit is the culprit and how you can address it. Here's Anne with today's message. There's a story of a man who went into a hardware store and he had recently been through a storm or there was a storm that came into his city and one of those storms where the ice just coats all the branches and the branches had come down and lots of trees had fallen over in his yard and he had to clean up the mess, cut the branches and cut down some trees. And so he went into the hardware store and he said he didn't have much time to do all of this and so he needed the best saw that they sold. And he told them about all the trees they had to cut down and the limbs they had to cut up and and he wanted something that would do the job fast. And and the clerk said, oh, he said, I've just got the perfect saw for you. And he went into the back room and he came out in the front and he bought this huge chainsaw. And he put it up on the counter and he said, listen, this thing will cut tree limbs like butter. You can clean up your whole yard in one afternoon. It's just a cinch. And the guy said, well, that's exactly what I'm looking for. And, And so he paid the money and he took this big saw home. And three days later, this guy comes into the hardware store stubbly beard, hair just every which direction, sweaty, hands all bloodied and blistered, dragging this big chainsaw, and he plops it up on the counter, and he says, listen, he said, you sold me the best saw, or you said it was the best saw that you had, and you sold me this chainsaw, and I've been sawing for three days, and all I've gotten is through two small tree limbs. He said, this thing doesn't work, something's wrong with it. And the clerk said, well, my goodness, he said, it worked when I sold it to you. So he reached down and he turned the little key and he pulled the little black cord and the saw went vroom, vroom, vroom. And the man looked at him and he said, what's that noise? (laughs) I'm glad you all got it. (laughs) He had been trying to saw the trees without activating the power. Is that the way you've been living your Christian life? No wonder you're worn out. Exhausted, bloodied, tired, battle-weary. You come out of Romans 7 and you're just broken and wretched and you need to activate the power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes the same old things in Romans 8 different. The things in Romans 8, you run down that outline that's in that notebook, dependence, obedience, expectance, confidence, If you listen to me very long, that runs like a broken record through my messages, especially the obedience and the dependence, which John 15 calls abiding in Christ. And same old things, except now there's a difference. It's all done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes the difference. So if you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, let's look at the same old things, but from the perspective of doing them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, if you have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 8, and let's begin by looking at the first four verses in that dependence upon the person of the Holy Spirit. In other words, how do you claim the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? First of all, by depending upon his person who lives in you. Jesus said in John 5, I do nothing of myself, but I do everything through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in me. So if Jesus did nothing of himself, how much more you and I are to do nothing of ourselves 
but do everything through the person of the Holy Spirit. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, because those through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life, has set me free from the law of sin and death. We depend upon his person, first of all, to set us free, to liberate us from our sin and from ourselves and from the struggle that we were talking about in Romans chapter 7. We spoke that living in our new natures is not turning over a new leaf, it's not being rehabilitated, it's not trying to patch up something old, it's being born again and living in the new nature and depending upon the person of the Holy Spirit who now lives in you to liberate you from your sin and from your habits of sin. Do you understand that now living inside of you is the person of the Holy Spirit? And you have the Holy Spirit all to yourself. All of the Holy Spirit is yours. And all of Him lives inside of you. And now you begin to live your life depending upon His person to liberate you from the sin and the habits of sin. No longer are you trying to do this on your own. Number one, you know you can't. You've learned that by experience and being frustrated and failing. Now you let go of all of that and you're just depending upon the Holy Spirit to set you free and to liberate you from the sin and the habits of sin. And you will experience liberation. Now you are liberated when you're saved. You will experience liberation in your life in as measure as you surrender to the Holy Spirit. So your freedom is in proportion to your surrender. So you depend upon the person of the Holy Spirit to liberate you and then to live his life through you. The Christian life lived according to the Spirit is a relaxed sort of thing. You don't struggle. You don't have to work it up. You don't have to try so hard. Certainly we need to be obedient, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but you can relax and depend upon the Holy Spirit to liberate you from this sin and this habit of sin and the struggle with sin and the, the spiritual law of gravity, which is sin, as he then lives his life through you. He has overcome sin. He has overcome yourself. And he can live his life through you. And you depend upon his person to do that. At home in Montreat, across the valley, there was a spring that came up beside the road and every winter the spring would flood across the road and in the wintertime it would freeze. And so there was a big ice slick there. So mother got the person who helps us on the mountain to, to drill a hole into the spring and they put a pipe into the spring. And then they put a big bucket underneath the pipe so the water would flow from the spring through the pipe into the bucket, fill up the bucket, it would overflow, but then it would go alongside the road in a ditch, down beside the ditch so that it didn't go across the road and there wasn't the ice hazard. But I can remember as a little girl walking up and down the mountain we would take hikes together as a family and mother would look at that bucket and, and out of that pipe would just come a dribble of water, just a few drops, and she would know something was in the pipe, either a little piece of sand or a salamander or something and stuck it up. And so she would take a stick and just run it through the pipe to free it up so the water once again would flow through the pipe into the bucket. If the water wasn't flowing through the pipe into the bucket, the water in the bucket evaporated and you had stagnant water in there. And in order for the bucket to overflow and for the water to be fresh and to run down where it was supposed to, it had to come through the pipe. You and I are filled with the Holy Spirit in the same way and that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and our surrender to the Lord being complete until something clogs up our pipe. Something blocks the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A sin that we refuse to confess, an area of our life that we refuse to surrender, and we begin to hold back on the Lord and it begins to clog up the pipe. And you add one unconfessed sin to another and one area that you don't surrender and that leads you to holding back on something else and pretty soon the Holy Spirit is no longer filling your life. He's still there and He will never leave you, never forsake you, but He's no longer filling you. And you become stagnant and you no longer overflow. 
and you lose the power in your Christian life. You lose the things that go with it, joy and victory and, and all sorts of other things. And so you must depend upon the Holy Spirit to, as a person to liberate you as he lives his life through you and you cooperate by keeping your life surrendered to him. Don't hold back on him. Your liberation and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life will be in proportion as you maintain your surrender to him. I wonder what sin have you committed that you've refused to confess? And it's come to your mind, and you know, sometimes I refuse to confess a sin because it's the same old sin. And I've committed it ten times before. And I'm embarrassed to come back to the Lord and say, I did it again. And yet as long as I hold back on that and I don't confess it to Him, then it begins to clog up that artery. Or maybe there's an area of your life you've been totally surrendered, and you fully surrender your life as you leave this place and you go home, and, and then you have opportunity to eat something that... <laughs> You know you shouldn't be eating or drink something you shouldn't be drinking or, or talking to somebody you shouldn't be talking to and, and you want to go ahead and indulge and, and right then you can be filled one moment and not filled the next because you're resisting the Lord on something that he's told you to do or not to do and, and you've not confessed it to him. You've not surrendered it to him. So that filling is a moment-by-moment moment filling in response to a moment-by-moment moment surrender. Complete control of the Holy Spirit in your life because you're completely surrendered to him. Verse 4, the last part, it says, We don't live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. And all through this chapter, you'll see living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, living according to the Spirit, all of them emphasizing our dependency upon the person of the Holy Spirit. If you're going to have power or victory in your life, you must live in dependency upon the Holy Spirit to liberate you and to live His life through you. Not only must we depend upon the person of the Holy Spirit, but even to claim his power, we must depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to conform us to himself. In verse 5, it says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And what does the Spirit desire? He desires that you and I be like Christ. And have you thought that the Holy Spirit's desires are always fulfilled? Now, isn't that a neat thought? He desires that you be like Jesus, and he always gets what he wants. He is going to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. That's his responsibility. How does he do that? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that as you behold the Lord Jesus Christ, and how do you behold him? How do you see him? You see him in Scripture. As you spend time reading your Bibles, applying your Bibles, Obeying your Bibles, as you saturate yourself in God's Word, as you behold Jesus, the Holy Spirit changes you from glory to glory to glory. And you can interchange a word for glory, use the word character. He changes you from character to character to character until you're like Christ. The Holy Spirit will do that. You cooperate by spending time in God's Word and being obedient to God's Word as you do it, unconscious to yourself. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life, conforming you to the image of Christ. You don't have to work at it. He works at it. You just cooperate. Would you depend upon not only the person, but the power of the Holy Spirit to conform you like Christ? Wonder how much effort you're putting into trying to be like Jesus. The Christian life is not a life lived in imitation of Jesus. We don't live our lives trying to be like Jesus. We live our lives in surrender to the Holy Spirit, and He makes us like Christ. He changes us, 
transforms us into the image of Christ. Would you leave totally committed to depending upon the person and the power of the Holy Spirit to set you free from your sin, to live his life through you? We're talking about failure, and I remember Alan Redpath looking at a, a group, and I was in the group. He was teaching a seminar in which I was attending, and, and he said, What do you think God expects of you? And I'll ask you the same thing. What do you think God expects of you? And I was answering in my mind, he expects faithfulness, he expects obedience, he expects fruitfulness. And then you know what Alan Redpath said? He said, you know what God expects from you? Failure. And I thought, oh boy, I can do that. <laughs> I can fail. He said, that's all God ever expects from you. Isn't that a relief? <laughs> we can do that. But he has given you the Holy Spirit that you need never fail. But his expectations of you are nothing more than failure. His expectations of the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, are very high. In fact, they're very high. He expects the Holy Spirit to live the life of Christ in you. And the Holy Spirit can and the Holy Spirit will if you give him your life and you surrender control of it to him. Would you live your life in dependency from the person and the power of the Holy Spirit and secondly, would you live your life in obedience to him? Why? For two reasons. One is because of the position of the Holy Spirit in your life. In verse 14, it says we are led by the Spirit of God. If you're a child of God, if you've been born again, you are led by the Spirit of God. In other words, the Spirit of God is our leader. In other words, the Spirit of God in your life is Lord. And you are to obey him because of his position in your life. And his position is that he is Lord. And 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. There is no condemnation to live a life of struggle and failure when the Spirit is Lord. And I never understood that verse until someone put a different emphasis on it. Where the Spirit of the Lord is Lord, there is liberty. Who is the Lord in your life? Who's in control? Who calls the shots? Who's the master? Where the Spirit of the Lord is Lord. That's where the freedom is. That's where the victory is. A life lived under His Lordship. And in verse 12 it says, Therefore, sisters, you're obligated not to obey your old nature. What a relief to know you don't have to lose your temper. And you don't have to gossip and you don't have to be mean and you don't have to be resentful and you don't have to hate that person and you don't have to hold on to that bitterness and you don't have to get even and take vengeance and you don't have to do that. You're not obligated to live according to this sinful nature anymore. But you are obligated to live according to the Spirit. You are obligated to be obedient because He is Lord. Because of His position as Lord and your obligation to Him, you do two things. In verse 13, it says to mortify the deeds of the flesh because of his position as Lord. Number one, you crucify yourself. And it's an ugly term, but I can't think of a better one. It means to put yourself to death. It means you say no to self. You say no to sin. You stop it. You just put it to death. And, and I didn't quite understand how to use that or bring it down into my life until Stephen Alford shared something that he did that was meaningful to him and it has meant so much to me. I'll, I'll pass it on. He said that 
when a sin comes to his mind or when he's struggling with a habit of sin and he's tempted or he finds himself on the verge of, of committing a sin, he just prays a prayer within his heart in deep earnestness. Lord, I choose to crucify and then he names it. I choose to crucify that worry and I take it and I nail it to the cross. I, I choose to take the pride and I crucify my pride to the cross. In that jealousy, Lord, I crucify my jealousy. One of you were asking me how when you stand up to give a message, how you can get over the fact that there's a barrier between the audience and yourself and, and you see all the strange faces and you're giving out a message and they don't trust you and, and how you can overcome that. And, and I, I didn't explain it quite this way, but I know when I stand up to speak, I have a, a tendency to self-consciousness. It comes from being a little shy and it comes from being, having a little bit of an inferiority complex. And, and anyway, I tend to be self-conscious. And that, that's a form, by the way, of pride just thinking about yourself and, and being self-conscious, and it can greatly hinder your ability to serve the Lord because you will be so self-conscious that you won't stand up and you won't reach out and you won't do what God's called you to do. So before I stand up to speak, I pray and just tell the Lord, Lord, I choose to crucify that self-consciousness, and I name it for what it is. It's just pride. Lord, I take my pride and I nail it to the cross and leave it there. And there is something about nailing it to the cross in your conscious mind, something about seeing Jesus dying, tortured, suffering to take away that sin that makes you leave it at the cross. You don't want to go dragging it back and playing around with it again. You just leave it there. And there's something about that that sets you free. Maybe the freedom is temporary. Next time I go to speak, I'll have to pray the same prayer. But increasingly, I've gotten I don't pray that prayer anymore. I just get up in that sort of faith and lose myself in the message, and increasingly I'm set free from the self-consciousness. But Paul says you're obligated to live a life under the lordship of Christ. He is Lord and because of his position as Lord. Number one, you crucify yourself. May I ask you, what part of yourself needs crucifying besides the whole thing? Is there a specific sin, a habit? Are you toying with something, tolerating it, playing around with it, calling it by some other name? Would you name it for what it is and just nail it to the cross? One, you crucify yourself. Secondly, you choose the spirit. Where there's a negative, there almost always is a positive. So you crucify yourself, but at the same time, you choose the spirit. If you're crucifying worry, you choose the spirit's peace. If I'm crucifying self-consciousness, I choose to put my mind on the spirit. You see, you just you put to death the one, but you put on the other. Ephesians calls it putting off the old and putting on the new. But you crucify yourself and you choose the spirit. In verses 5 to 7... It talks about setting your mind on the Spirit. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Because the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. You must set your mind on the Spirit. The reason for that is that your mindset determines your will, and that determines your emotions. Let me illustrate this. If your mind is set on material things... I mean, you just have to have that kind of refrigerator and you just have to have a status kind of car and you just have to have fashionable clothes and you just have to have a home that's in a particular neighborhood and is decorated professionally and, and your mind is set on material things, then I expect very soon your will is going to follow and you will make the decision to leave your family and go back to work because your husband's not making that kind of income and you need more money if you're going to have these material things. And then your emotions follow your will and tell you that you're not going to be happy until you have those, those material things. And Paul says that it leads to death because yourself is never satisfied. 
and you set your mind on anything other than Christ, set it on material things and your will follows suit and then you put your emotions there and that's where you find your satisfaction, you're never completely satisfied. So it's just death. Never satisfied and you, and you never can have enough. No matter what it is, anything outside of Christ, you'll never be satisfied. And so Paul says, set your mind on spiritual things. Philippians 4.8 says, set your mind on that which is pure and noble and good. And if you set your mind to those things, pretty soon your will will follow suit. For instance, if your mind is set on that which is pure, and that's your mindset, and then you go to watch that television program in the evening, and you flip on the channel, and something comes on that you know is not pure and that would cause you to think thoughts that are not pure, your mind is set on pure things, and so you will follow suit. You turn off the TV or you switch channels. And then your emotions increasingly are turned off by that kind of entertainment and turned on to that which is pure. And you find yourself satisfied in the Lord and satisfied in His Word. You see, it's very important to set your mind. In the summertime, I love to go to the beach. And on the North Carolina beach, we love to go to Wrightsville Beach. And Wrightsville Beach is a little island, and it's connected to the mainland by a bridge. And in between the island and the mainland, there's a waterway. It's like a big harbor. And the water is still, and the waves don't come into it. And in the summertime, that's where everybody sails their sailboats. And so you can stand on the harbor and look at all the different sailboats and the beautiful color sails. And I remember this one particular day. It was a, a gorgeous day like today. And there were so many sailboats out there, and, and they were all going in different directions. And I looked at the windsock at the yacht club, and the windsock was blowing in one direction. So I, I knew all of the wind was blowing that way. But the sailboats were going every different way. So I asked my friend standing next to me, I said, if the wind is blowing that way, why are the sailboats not all going that way? How come there's so many of them are going in different directions? And he said, Anne, it's the set of the sail that determines the direction of the boat. You see, it's the set of your mind that's going to determine the direction of your life. It's what you set your mind on that determines your will and the decisions you make that determines your emotions and that which satisfies you. So Paul says it's important to set your mind on the Spirit. I want to show you two more circles. We're talking about being born again and that when, when you're physically born into the human race, you're born with this tendency to sin and the spots are your sin. And then when you're born again, you have a new life of Christ within you, the emotions, will, and intellect of Christ, totally sinless. Okay, so you're born again and, and you have your new nature and then your life is filled with choices, right? Every day you have all these choices. So you fixed your husband's dinner and it's, hot on the table at 6 o'clock in the evening, 7 o'clock he's still not home, 8 o'clock the jello is melted and the grease is congealed on the chicken and everything is ruined, 10 o'clock he hasn't come in and he hasn't called, 11 o'clock he sashays in the door so nothing's happened and you have a choice to make, right? <laughs> you can either let him have it and let fly with your temper or control your temper and just say that you know he's had a hard day and ask him about it. If you choose to let him have it and live in your old nature and lose your temper, you add a ring to your old nature, just like the rings in a tree, and you add a ring to your old nature. And then the next day, you've just mopped the kitchen floor and it's shiny and polished and it looks beautiful and, and your kids come running in from outside and they track mud across your kitchen floor and you just have a choice. You can tell them to go get the mop and mop up what they've done and not to do that again. Or you can scream at them, hurl them upstairs, tell them to stay in bed and miss their supper and, and live in your old nature. If you choose to live in your old nature and react in the flesh, you add another ring to your old nature. And you're watching that television program at night and it's something that's not pleasing to God and you decide that you're going to just relax that way anyway and you want to see what happens on this program and, 
and you just add a ring to your old nature. And you can live in your old nature like that, adding rings and rings and rings until, you know what, people can look at you and what they're seeing is your old nature. And they won't even know you're a Christian. I mean, the Holy Spirit will be so buried in your life, other people won't see any evidence of him that's there. Not only that, you'll have no power. This person is not filled with the Holy Spirit. This person is filled with themselves. This person is living in the flesh. Okay? So, so the fullness of the Holy Spirit depends on your surrender, and that surrender is revealed in the moment-by-moment -moment daily choices that you make to live in the flesh or to live in the Spirit. If your mind is set on the flesh and fleshly things, that's the way you're going to live. This has been Living in the Light. Please take advantage of all the free resources at anngramlots.org to help and encourage you in your walk with God and in your study of His Word. Join us here each week for Living in the Light. <music>